Well, hello, Venture Church. Um, it's good to be back. Di and I were gone for a week and a half on a, I would call it our Americana road trip. Um, I want you to notice that there's a TV next to me. Pretty sure the staff put that there so I couldn't walk around as much. Because it's easier to have the camera on me when I'm not sprinting around the platform. But no, it's up there to enhance your viewing and things. Uh, I want to start by saying I wrestled with this message for a couple weeks. This is complicated. I knew the text that I was teaching from. Ironically, I guess not ironically, because it's the way that Jesus works. The text fit perfect with what was happening in our world. But the, the hardest part of communicating is I like to refer to this, in fact, I think I invented this. So this statement that I'm going to give right now, I believe, I, I don't think I read it anywhere, I don't think I heard it from anyone else, I think I, I invented this. So I want you to notice the timestamp on the message where it is and know that I wrote this two weeks ago. So you, you know that two weeks beforehand I had already come up with this because somebody like John Maxwell is going to hear this, write a book on it, and get rich off of it because I don't want to write a book. So there it is. But I call this the 20-60-20 principle of communication. That when you are communicating, you are communicating to 20% of those listening here There are 60% that sit firmly in the middle, and then there are 20% on this side. And when I talk about the two 20%, those are people that no matter what the topic is, they they have a very strong opinion that veers from really strong opinion all the way to outrage. And it varies, and sometimes this group is outraged, and this group is cheering on, and then other times these people are outraged, and this group is cheering on, and then everyone in the middle tends to just fall into who they heard last. Or they're just like, you know, I I love these people, I love these people, I'm kind of for everybody, and I think it's all good. So I know that whenever I communicate, immediately... I am going to get about 80% of the crowd, 80% of those listening. But I also realize that when I communicate that what I'm talking about is going to be bothersome to about 20%. And right away, I want to tell you this, that uh, I'm going to say some things today that are going to cause strong feelings, probably outrage. And I'm going to warn you up front that I am not planning on spending a lot of time on social media this week. And I also want to just tell you very humbly right now that the leadership of our church has a policy that we do not read anonymous emails. So if anyone sends me an anonymous email, the first thing me and my team and all the leaders of our church will do is read the name at the bottom. If there is no name, we will delete said email without reading. So I'm saying that up front um, so that everyone understands. So... When you communicate, you always have this 20% that you're trying to share the word in a way where they will understand. Now, so look at it from my point of view. I'm an academic, and a B, like 80%, isn't good enough. I need to bump that thing up to an A. So whenever I'm communicating, I'm trying to uh, persuade as much of the other 20%, wherever they fall to buy into this. 
Now, I, I want to say this. Let, let me give you some examples. I will preach sometimes and mention the Huskies. UW football, go Huskies. Now, when I do that, I am getting cheered on by 20% of the crowd. The other 20% that are either Cougars or Oregon Duck fans are annoyed with me, and the 60% in the middle tolerate it. Okay, are you, you following me? Uh, whenever anyone talks about the Sounders, there's about 20% of you that cheer it on. There are 20% of you that immediately think soccer should not be a professional sport. And there are 60% of you in the middle who don't care. Are you following me? Uh, the Coke-Pepsi debate. 20% of you are all Coke. 20% of you are all Pepsi. And you are firmly entrenched on your sides. And 60% of us drink whatever they put in front of us. We're okay. Uh, another example. Music style and volume. There are 20% that are outraged when it's too loud. There are 20% that are outraged when it's too quiet. And there are 60% firmly in the middle that don't care. If someone says it's too loud, they'll think, I can see that. If somebody says it's too quiet, they'll say, I can see that. So Di and I left on our vacation. And we were dealing with one thing. We knew that we were going to open the church on Father's Day. Reopen the church or relaunch the church. No, no. Resume services on Father's Day. Because we've always been open. And so we left on this with uh, the biggest issue being these. These masks right here. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? I'll take it off just for that. 20% of you are outraged by the thought of wearing masks. 20% of you are outraged by the thought of not wearing masks. 60% of you think, well, if my friend doesn't care if I wear a mask, maybe I will sometimes, sometimes I won't. But if my friend really cares about me wearing a mask, it's an easy thing to put on. So that was the biggest issue Brandon was dealing with as I drove down the freeway and started on my world tour of America. And then the world changed overnight. Now I want to preface this by saying our church has many, many amazing police officers in it. Like in my uh, lifetime, I'm 49, I have had many encounters with incredible police officers that have represented uh, themselves very well, have represented the police force very well. I'm also going to be honest and say I have met, this is a word that I would use, I've met police officers that I would say are tools that I haven't appreciated as much. I would say more often than not, they have been really great. And through our church, we have amazing police officers that I think are an incredible example of the law enforcement. Uh, but halfway through this trip, an evil police officer murders a black man, George Floyd, 
exposing once again systemic racism in our nation. Unfortunately, since then, a lot of things have happened that have muddied that message. Peaceful peaceful protests have turned into riots and looting. And it's muddied the message. And the whole time, I keep saying this message is about George Floyd. This message is about a black man who was murdered. There are issues that we need to deal with. There is a problem in our country whether you or I choose to accept that or not. Like, you have an option with this. When uh, three times in a very short period uh, of months, three black people are murdered by white people. There is a problem. You have an option. You can respond to that problem by saying... I'm not racist, not my issue. This is not a problem for me. I hate racism. I have major issues with all of that. Not my problem. And by the way, I don't agree with looting, and I don't agree with rioting, and then that becomes the problem. And by the way, I'm going to say that the not my problem, I'm not racist, that has become the vast majority of people. You can have that be you, or you can choose to be part of the solution. Now, I'm saying this very humbly. I have causes, I do, that I'm passionate about. Uh, My number one cause is Jesus. It's always been my number one cause. That's why I do what I do. I'm an advocate for Jesus. I believe this principle, and it's the reason I do what I do, that if I can get people close to Jesus, everything else will change for them. They will not hate people. They will forgive um, all of the immoral activity and their behaviors that I don't agree with, that all those things go away as someone gets close to Jesus. So I live my life. My my number one advocacy is Jesus. And by the way, that ain't going to change. That is what it is, and it is forever going to be that because I believe the ultimate cure uh, to what is poisoning our country is Jesus. We need Jesus. So that is the number one thing I am an advocate for. The number two thing that I'm an advocate for, I can't help it, I just am, is my family. And I fight for my kids. I fight for my wife. I, I'm an advocate for my family. Um, unapologetically, I want to help them in any way I can. I want to move their dreams and desires forward. The number three thing that I am an advocate for is venture. Like, I'm an advocate for venture church. I am for you. Whatever you're for, I'm for you. You're running for office, I'm for you. You start a business, I'm for you. I am for you. Always, I'm just an advocate. That's why I love to hashtag we are venture. I'm an advocate for you, the people in our church. But I also have a cause that I felt compelled by Jesus 15 years ago to carry the mantle and fight for. And that was gender inequality. I really felt like the Lord spoke to me to fight and provide opportunities for women in leadership. At the time I started the church, there was a large church in western Washington that was vehemently opposed 
to women in leadership. Well, I'm a new church planner. I don't know anything. I got 100 people in my church, and I'm preaching, that, you know, letting my wife preach and preaching for women in leadership, and people attacked me on every single angle, and I felt God told me, promote women in leadership. That is why I am proud that at this moment at our church, of the four people that serve on our executive team, two are women. And by the way, they're women that are sharper than 99% of people in America regardless. So I am proudly an advocate for women in leadership. But honestly, that's where it stopped. Now, I am for people being advocates for all these other things that everybody gets outraged about. The broken, the poor, the, those that are struggling with habits that they need to overcome, issues of racism, all of those things. I am for all of you venture people being advocates in those areas. But my problem has always been, I just don't have the energy to be outraged about everything. Because there's something new to be outraged about every single weekend. And if I am outraged about something, I'll just live in a perpetual state of... Anger. And so I thought, I can handle these things, but I'm going to cheer on, support, give money to, and do whatever I can to support all these people that are advocates for all these other just areas. And I am ashamed to say that has always been my attitude about racism. My attitude has always been, I'm not racist. Man, I love all people. In fact, the line that I always use is, I want everybody at our church. Like, I am no respecter of persons. I want everyone. I want everyone, everyone, everyone. Now, I knew there were racist people around. Um, to be honest, I didn't come in contact with them a lot. But I, I, knew, that, I knew that they were there. And then I've struggled for the last week with what to say, what to do. There are a lot of good, loving, caring white people that are listening to this right now, and you are like me. This, you're devastated by what our black brothers and sisters are going through. You hurt for them. But you don't know what to do. Because anytime you post anything, you get slammed for it. You think you're saying something that is being encouraging, yet people are slamming you for it. You post a little square on Blackout Tuesday, and you spend, like I did, most of the day deleting negative comments. And then you think, well, maybe I shouldn't say anything. And then you get slammed for your silence. So I want to say, church, I think we have an option right now. And it is we continue to just live in our euphoric bubble that is just us. Or we make a decision that we, Canyon Creek, uh, this is the problem when you record live, we hashtag our venture that we become part of the solution. So I want to challenge you with three things as I share the word this morning. I want to challenge you to take a step out of your bubble for just a moment and just look around. Just look. Just look around. 
And then I want to challenge you, as you've stepped out of your bubble and you've looked around, I want to challenge you to listen. Just listen to the stories of other people. So my, my, my son and Hannah Clymer yesterday were going to a peaceful protest in Everett, and I share this story with permission. And I was very proud of them that they were doing something. And Elijah had called me um, in the middle of all of this when I'm like driving in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And he said, Dad, I can't stop crying. I'm just so sad. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help people with this. And, and so he decided to go and help with this peaceful protest because he just, he wanted to do something. He wanted to help in some way. So I was so proud of him for doing this. And so he and Hannah went to the store, and they bought a bunch of paper to do this. And this is a story from Hannah. Hannah said, uh, I was going up to the checkout stand to buy my paper. And Hannah is half Asian descent. And a person, my my son calls them a Karen. I don't even know what that means. I'm I'm assuming it means he's a, a white lady in her 30s or 40s looks at Hannah and says, what are you doing? And she says, oh, I'm going to the protest in Everett. And then the person says to her, if you hate America so much, why don't you go back to the country you came from? Wow, it's just like, I mean, Hannah's like the most universally loved human being. I've always said this about Hannah Clymer, that if you don't like Hannah Clymer, the problem is always you, period. And uh, I might never have noticed that before because I never would have looked and listened. So when I heard that story from Hannah, it hurt me. And then the third thing I want to challenge you with is just be willing to learn. Like, we we don't understand everything. We don't understand everyone's experience. We have to just get out of our bubble and just look around. And we have to listen, and we have to learn. I love you all. Please still love me. <laughs> Second Kings chapter 5. This is a story that is full of racism and hatred. This is a story that has gender inequality. This is a story that has someone with a disability. We read about economic disparity here. And we see the horror of slavery in this story. All packed in this historical narrative that really happened. And it's all about a guy by the name of Naaman. I'm going to introduce him to you. I'm going to talk about him this week and next week. It says, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. Now, Naaman's name means pleasantness. Naaman was wealthy, powerful, 
He had a great reputation. This man was well respected. He was the Syrian general who went in and won great battles. In fact, Naaman had elevated himself to be the second in command of all of Syria. There was no one other than the king more influential in Syria than Naaman. And the king loved him. Now I need to give you the seedy background. The Syrians hated the Israelites. They despised each other's cultures. They warred against each other, and the Syrians were winning. And it elevated Naaman even more. What you might not understand about wars that took place back then is wars not only were violent, but the after effects of wars were disgusting because it included the spoils of war. How had Naaman become wealthy? The spoils of war. How did Naaman end up with all of these servants? The spoils of war. You would go in and you would conquer your enemies, your hated enemies. And the first thing that the Syrians would do would be to go find the temples where the Israelites worshipped Yahweh that were elaborate and full of gold and they would tear them down and they would steal the gold, the spoils of war. After the war was over and the battle was won, Naaman, to honor his soldiers, would look at them and say, go for it, men. And the men were able to go through the city and ravage the city. That included raping the women and taking the children back to Syria as slaves. So when we read that Naaman had many servants, they were slaves that he had acquired due to the spoils of war. Naaman was the best at this. Can I be blunt? We're woke now in the 21st century. When we hear about this guy, he's terrible. We don't like him. I, at the very best, we would say this is a good guy who is exceptionally ignorant. Here's where the story changes. So tells us all about Naaman, and then it says, he was a mighty man of valor, but, it says but. That word but is an English conjunction which connects two thoughts. Now, what's interesting is that word means something slightly different in the Hebrew, because In the Hebrew, the word but means except for or had it not been for. In other words, all of this is true had it not been for this. So this is what it is, but this. And this supersedes this. What's interesting about that conjunction, but, is it's actually used 3,994 times in the Bible. 
Money is used 140 times, faith 247, love 310, peace 429, Jesus 983, but over 4,000 times in scripture, this would be true had it not been for this. He was a mighty man of valor, but... Except for, had it not been for, he was a leper. Leprosy is a progressive disease. And we can assume that he was likely in the first stages of it. But it was terminal. There was no known cure. It was an eventual death sentence. So in other words, all of this is true, but it doesn't matter because he's going to die soon anyways. Leprosy bore a stigma. It was isolating. In fact, if you were in Israel, you would have to tear your clothes, cover your face in sackcloth, and walk on the other side of the road and declare whenever you came around another person, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. In Syria, you were supposed to isolate yourself from everyone so they didn't catch what you had. Normally, that's what would happen, except for when you're rich. Except for when you're powerful. You know the right people. Just kind of keep going on, doing what you're doing. You see, but Naaman had talent. He was great at killing people. He was excellent at strategizing his enemy's death. And even leprosy could not keep this man down. But he had a death sentence. All of this had been true had it not been for this. When I was a youth pastor at BCA... Um, I was given the very first opportunity ever to speak on a Sunday. It was a really big deal, and normally they didn't let anyone other than the senior associate and the lead pastor ever share, and I was given the opportunity as the youth pastor to preach. And this is back in the early 90s, so I used a normal pop culture reference. I referred to the TV show Beavis and Butthead. So it was funny, people laughed, there was that, and I was done, and I felt so good about my sermon until the senior associate's wife came up to me holding her three children in her arms. And she said, thanks, Pastor Brandon, good job. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, you taught my kids a new word. I said, what did I teach them? Butthead. Taught them the word butthead. Church, in my opinion, the reason that there's so much disunity in our country right now, that there's so much division in everything we say, is because of the word but. I believe that but has caused this divide. 
And so I want to encourage you right now to repent of your butthead thinking. Let me sum it up for you this way. So I want to encourage you, don't be a butthead. This is what I mean. What happened to George Floyd was terrible. But there had to be more to the story. This would have been true had it not been for this. Well, black lives matter. But all lives matter. That police officer was wrong. But not all cops are bad. You know, this was the number one thing I heard. In fact, right when the George Floyd thing happened and I heard about it, I posted a very simple picture that said, I can't breathe. And with a heading that said, enough. And then many of my friends tried to reason with me and say, but... Pastor Brandon, there has to be more to the story. But you shouldn't say anything till we know everything. And as we all know, when more to the story came out, it was just as bad as we thought from the beginning. But head thinking doesn't help. Stop trying to qualify. Other people's pain. Other people's hurt. Stop saying, all right, I respect how you feel, but that wouldn't be true had it not been for this. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Closing with this thought, and I'll continue the story of Naaman next week. Why does it bother you that people hashtag Black Lives Matter? Why, why, why do you feel the need to say, but don't all lives matter? I don't think anyone's ever questioned that. I think every one of us agrees that all lives matter. But why can't you, in a moment when a segment of our population is really hurting and angry, why can't you, as a show of solidarity, support them? What, what makes it so you have to qualify your support with a but? Church, I want to share something with you and the reason why I think it is completely appropriate for followers of Jesus in this moment to hashtag Black Lives Matter. And I think we see it in Mark 16. Now I've had many preachers that have used the Bible and taught on this subject and not use this text, but I'm going to use it. Let me give you the setting. Uh, Jesus was dead, buried in the grave, and rose from the grave. Mary Magdalene and Jesus' mother went to the tomb to put spices on his dead body, only to discover that the, the stone was rolled away and that Jesus was not there. 
And sitting in that tomb was an angel that was sent by Jesus to deliver a message. Sent by the resurrected Jesus. And here's what he said. He said, ladies, I want you to go to the disciples and Peter and have them meet Jesus on his way to Galilee. And he will talk to them. It's Mark chapter 16, verse 7. The disciples and Peter. Why Peter, who was never removed as a disciple, why was he not just lumped into the disciples? Why didn't Jesus use every one of their individual names? I want to point out that we have John, who has many books, many of the Gospels written about him, referred to himself this way. I'm the guy that Jesus loves. I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. So a guy who would give himself that title, why is it we don't read in any of the Gospels when he met with the resurrected Jesus on the way to Galilee with Peter, why didn't John walk up and say, hey, Jesus, it was so cool that you told all the disciples and Peter to meet you on the way to Galilee, but why didn't you say my name too? Do you not care about me as much as Peter? Why didn't he say that? Because he knew in that moment that Peter was hurting. And he knew that in that moment, Jesus specifically centered on Peter because of all of them, Peter was the one that was hurting the most. There are moments where we focus on certain brothers and sisters more than others because they are our family that is hurting at this moment. I'm going to give a terrible illustration. It's a terrible illustration. I want you to hear my heart as I do it. And I, I close with this. I have three children. My kids would go to school. Sometimes one of them would have a horrible day. Um, someone would make fun of them. They would pick on them at recess. And first thing my wife and I would say to our kids when they got home is the same thing you say to your kids when they get home. How's your day at school? How'd it go? You know, and they would come in and it was great. It was so much fun. We did this at recess. We did this in class. And then one bursts into tears and says something like, I was mistreated at recess. As a mom, you know that you cuddle that kid extra hard all day long. As a dad, I mean, that, that's the kid that picks where we go to dinner that day. That's the one that the focus of our love, which is total to all of them, but that particular moment, that person is hurting and they get a little bit of extra focus. Why did Jesus say the disciples in Peter? Because at that moment, he wanted, beyond a shadow of a doubt, to have Peter and everyone else know, Peter, I love you. That's why when a segment of people in our population people in our church, people in our community, 
really hurting because of the reality of systemic racism in our society as a white, upper-class, educated, professional male, I refuse to say but. I refuse to be a butthead. I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to look around. And I'm going to listen. And I'm going to learn. Because I admit, I am ignorant to this subject. But not anymore. I am committed to looking, listening, and learning. Because I really, really, really believe that's what Jesus would do. As we get further in this story, you were going to see there were only two Christians involved in the story of Naaman. One was a slave, one was the prophet Elisha, and they saw beyond race, beyond creed, beyond color, and they helped everyone. And that's my hope for you and I. Church, I say this in the most loving way I can. We have to exercise ourselves from butthead thinking. Got to get it out of our lives. We can't, we can't exist in the, this would be true if it were not for this. I want to pray for a church because I want a united venture church when we get back together on Father's Day. And I want us united to help causes that really matter. So would you join with me wherever you are in this prayer that I'm going to pray. Father, I humbly repent of getting so tied up in my own world that I didn't notice things that were obviously happening around me. Forgive me for having my butt response be, well, it doesn't matter because I'm not racist. I love all people, so... And instead, I just kind of buried my head in the sand, and I want to ask you, Jesus, to forgive me. And I want to ask you to forgive our church. We want to be, in our region, people that are leaders in racial reconciliation. We want to do our part. And Lord, I pray that you would help us bring key people in our midst that are going to help us look around, listen, and learn. And Lord, I do pray for peace in our community peace in our region and peace in our nation. And Lord, I pray that we can unite around injustice, that we can call injustice injustice with not having to add a but to it. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us all wisdom. No, let us know when to stay silent. Let us know when to speak up. And most of all, Lord, give us safe places to ask honest questions. I thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.